a magazine cover, but brought to life. So an AI version of Warren Buffett sitting inside the magazine wow. that you can talk to and interact with it. Cause that's what the future of a magazine would probably yeah. be 20 years, 30 years from now. After working with Warren Buffett for a few months, when Abhinav Agarwal, our guest on the show today, met Warren for the first time, he learned one lesson. Just that one lesson, that one concept changed everything about Abhinav's life. Hi there, welcome to Absolutely Right India's only podcast show, which is based on graphology and leadership. I'm your host, Aditi Surana. I'm a behavioral analyst, a high-performance coach, and founder of India's only mental gym, APT. The website is APT, A-P-T, aptmentalgym.com. Abhinav, who is currently a CEO and co-founder of Fluid AI, became the COO of the company when he was just 17, and his brother Raghav was just 21. They were so passionate about what they did that at some point, Abhinav dropped out of ISB Hyderabad and his brother Raghav dropped out of IM Ahmedabad. Just to quickly cover their story, they were on the covers of Forbes magazine, Fortune 40 Under 40, work in the dream field of artificial intelligence and data science, have been TED speakers multiple times, and most importantly, all of this they achieved while bootstrapping. Instead of choosing the simpler route of getting funded, they refused multiple offers and continued to work on their own terms with their own money. Abhinav is an insistent learner. You will know that every single thing that we spoke about, he came up with a different example and different ways of implementing that lesson. And it was a stimulating treat to speak with him. Without further ado, let me invite Abhinav and let's get this conversation started. So, Abhinav, I was introducing you to our listeners. And who gets to become a COO at 17? Like, like, what were you thinking? Like, why would you? Like, I know I understand family background, all of that. But were you so clear about it? And also, hello, hi, welcome to the show. I'm so fascinated. I had to ask this question. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's great to be here, Aditi. And I think when I founded the company, I was very passionate about uh, just doing something with my time that was a little more productive uh, and uh, I found this one outlet right and both Raghav and me started the company together and uh, when we did it we got so much fulfillment from it that uh, you know from 17 onwards there's no looking back you know it was, it was just going at it yeah I think adding adding value to people's lives really like you know when we would build something in technology and then people would come back to us and say Oh, wow, this really helped me or this enabled me a little better, you know, or this changed the way I work. I think that was just another kind of high that we got. And, and, and that was amazing. So so what was what was the idea when you began? Was it like technology exploration doing that research or was it really creating a company and building a business? What was the bigger driver then and what is it now? Bigger driver then was definitely technology. I think that was always like create like the ability to maybe spend 10 hours, 12 hours or a week and be able to create something. Uh, it was just fascinating that that ability. And then you just take that and, you know, suddenly you sh share it with the world. And it's it's like technology has that beauty in it. Right? It, it scales infinitely fast. right? So you build something and then it's just scaling for everyone to create value. So I think it was always very technology driven initially. We had, 
uh, and both of us were self-taught coders, right? So we, we we kind of learned it online, and you know we used to learn it from different sources, and we were just figuring it out as we went. Uh, so I also found it a nice change from the CA and business that I was studying <laughs> in school and college. So it was a nice change, and yeah, I think that 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 passion drove us, and I think even today, I think that one constant hasn't hasn't changed, even though. You know, we've become such a large organization and so many people. Uh, it's I think that that one thing it still drives us, and we hire also for that, right? We hire for people who really love that one part of technology, uh, and then they fit in very well with our culture. You know, I always tell people that every time I look at a handwriting sample, I blush, and I started when I was fourteen. So wow. that journey has gone. You have been that one of the very rare people I have found every time. And I, whenever I have met you, every time you okay. speak about technology, there is like a blush on your face. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm so happy. Right <laughs> and, and you know, at work, it's so like, because when you're managing, like we're now about, you know, we become large, right? So you have so many things to do, like manage people, mm-hmm. customers, marketing. And I feel I get such much lesser time to technology the core and you know yeah. so so when i get an opportunity to either talk about it or do it I, it just it's, it's very about. exciting yeah <laughs> so congratulations for the new achievement please tell our listeners what happened this sunday i'm so thrilled yeah no absolutely uh, so we 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 were we had filed these two patents uh, in in our conversational ai space there so as a Fluidia is a company we work very deeply in conversational AI and we filed it uh, in the US about three years back, three, three and a half years ago. Uh, and it was all inspired by uh, one of my mentors, Steve Wozniak, who's one of the founders of Apple. Uh, he invented the initial computer and, and he kind of inspired uh, some of our thinking on how we can relook at the way people interact with technology and build a new interface. Mm-hmm. We filed the patent three years, three and a half years back. We it got granted in the U.S. Uh, or this uh, very very recently, so this Sunday, and and I think that's now kind of really propelled us into. Uh, we we were hoping we'd get it, but we, you know, there's never any shortage. Yeah, of course, to, with uh, patents so, always. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Congratulations! You know, that's a big one. Uh, absolutely, it's exciting. <laughs> so I have your handwriting sample for. For our listeners, we asked Abhinav to write on a blank unruled sheet of paper. And in spite of being a technology person that he is, he took out time and used handwriting to create the sample. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the writing is divided into three parts for all of us. But in your case, Abhinav, the upper extensions of the writing, like the letter T, H, you know, mm-hmm. those longer top parts, they are well formed. And so are the bottom right. Y loops okay. and G loops. Uh, uh, both of them okay. are more prominent than the middle part, which generally becomes very small in its size. Now, what it means, I'm just giving the, the description of the stroke for people to look at in their own handwritings. It means okay. when you look at any idea, it is only natural for you to look at it from a solution perspective. And it could be anything. In the house, you might be walking, you see something, you say, hey, how can we create this product better? You might be talking mm-hmm. to a friend who is describing his problem in the business and oh, how can I find, how can he do it better? You might not say it if people are not open to that idea, but taking right. anything and solving it or building it or imagining it in a different way is your innate behavior and it has been there from childhood. Yeah, I can actually relate to that, that very, very well because 
I think anything it comes to, I love setting up a process, system, solution yeah. around it. And you're right, you know, whether it's company related uh, or something that I see at home, I, I'm constantly looking at optimizing, optimizing. So, yeah. or, you optimizing know, optimizing is the word. Yeah, optimizing yeah. is the word. And yeah. every 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 single solution that you create, even if it is perfect according to everybody, you're never done with it. You're like, oh, yeah. wait, how can I make the better update? And how can I add this? And people are like, this is good enough. You don't think it's good enough because your brain is constantly trying to find ways in which it can be taken to the next level. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I fully agree with that. <laughs> I have problems sometimes over-optimizing. Uh, and... Uh, until I don't get the perfect solution, it really eats me up inside. Uh, I'm so, gonna, I'm going to object it a bit here because uh, people who are perfectionists they operate from not failing. They want to have a perfect solution so that they do not make any mistakes. For you, it's a right. pursuit of excellence. It's lifelong. Even if the solution mm. is perfect, you would say, can I apply it into different possibility? Can I use it in some other way? So it is not always perfection that you you go for. For you, it is it's literally that that pursuit of, of constantly finding ways in which you can, you know, resolve many problems with that one thing. So that's oh, a mental game. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I think I really like the the shift from saying, okay, perfectionism to actually pursuit of excellence and can you keep improving every day? I think uh, it, it's such a better way of looking at it as well. Yeah, and and many people fall for perfectionism and then they find one perfect solution and keep serving that one solution. Thankfully, mm. luckily, you don't do that. And that's why I wanted to clarify yeah. because it's, you know, it's a yeah, great word to use perfectionism. Yeah. Now, what most people know about you and you know generally all your friends would vouch for this that you take time to open up when it comes to any personal emotional conversations you talk about things and talking and communicating is not a challenge you're not an introvert like that but you take time to trust people so if i'm not wrong there are these small little tests people have to pass every now and then just to make sure that they are ready for the next update and upgrade that you're building in the company in life and if they if you think they're up for it then they become part of that that team that project or that idea if you think they are not up for it then it's something that you kind of play other way around you just would be yeah, drawing that is true you know when i when i look at the work that we do uh uh, the way we set up our teams, if I, the minute I find that a particular team member is not very passionate about a project, then then we typically don't put him uh, as a part of that that role or that you know that team that's going to work on it because I think that's very important that the team has a lot of trust and equal passion uh, for yeah. for something for something that they build because. If even if you know one person in a team of four is doesn't share that same passion, he's gonna draw everyone down. So we, we definitely I work with that philosophy for sure. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, and I have so many things to say. Every time I look look at your writing, I'm like, okay, this point at that point. So one of the things that you did phenomenally well is your detailing. So we, we talk about that with I dot. So when you uh, place I dot closer. And very, very specifically, you know, on that I, we say dotting the I's, crossing the T's, which is about mm -hmm. detailing, but it also talks about detailing in terms of what you would like to create. 
what has happened however in the last few years for you uh, i believe that the i dot has moved upwards which means every idea that you come up with you've tried to become very futuristic with it and you want to solve a big problem so the kind of detailing that you used to do and the way you liked it you know every single code checked you know that kind of detailing you don't get to do and that is where probably you feel slightly irritated so i see futuristic ideas and irritations both building up okay interesting because you know earlier i used to be a very like as a kid i used to be a very unorganized person mm-hmm. uh, and uh, i think over the last 4 5 years or more i kind of had this massive shift towards becoming very organized very detail oriented very processized uh, probably because also the, that's something our company demanded right that initially it demanded a very let's do it and we we'll figure <laughs> it out and kind of a low attitude and over time i think it became as you grew bigger it became like now we need to be very methodical and organized and detailed about everything yeah so that is true i think then we we became super i became in, in my personal life as well i became super organized uh, when it comes to you know everything and and uh, you know the the way i keep things etc that that definitely happened that i and you're right you know to some extent as we scaled further you obviously somewhere we've needed to shift from being like i kind of seeing everything and being very uh, what do you call it uh, going into the detail of everything yeah uh-huh. going into the detail of everything to being more like okay this is a larger vision and giving people a lot of freedom and space uh, that shift right from being a micromanager to giving people space and autonomy yeah. and say, okay work within you this decide. structure yeah yeah work within some structure don't don't run away anywhere but within that structure you have full freedom of you know building or or taking the direction of of you as long as you kind of hit go in the right direction so absolutely yeah so on our show if you agree with something you say absolutely right because that's the name of the show oh really? <laughs> nice and what what do we say if we disagree <laughs> absolutely wrong that was absolutely oh, yeah. fine <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on today's stroke of graphology segment i want to talk about the upper loops you know i always find it fascinating how mathematically graphology can talk about a specific area or aspect now i might have spoken about zones before but upper loops which is the thinking space problem solving space intuition space gets evolved gets depicted in this part of the writing look at any lower case writing you know look for the loops in l h d t all the loops that form the taller upper part of your writing then you have the middle part which is a u the central portion of b d all that happens in the middle and then you have lower portions like loops of y g j the extension of q or p anything that comes below the line of the middle zone now upper zones are specifically interesting if they are too extended like 5 to 6 times of the middle zone then the person is constantly driven by spiritual intellectual intuitive ideas and the ideation becomes so rewarding for them that that by itself 
becomes their world they do not even look at what they require to do on a daily basis some people with super extended upper zones forget about their everyday requirements on top of that if the middle zone which is a u i all the middle parts of the writing if that is like a thread or illegible in whichever way then in that case the everyday activities are neglected beyond belief people get so involved in their intellectual aspects that they forget to eat you know those crazy mad scientists that were depicted stereotypically in the movies who were like working for hours and hours and forgot to eat and forgot to marry and forgot to do anything pretty much now all of that is an extended upper loop and neglected middle zone these exact writing styles might be rare but if you have this kind of a formation that will explain a lot about your own behavior so do not ignore the signs of graphology or handwriting and use the subject to evolve further and actually find a way in which you can be completely happy let's get back to our conversation with abhinav so um over to you what questions do you have for me sure no absolutely i um i think well i have quite a few questions so i'll start with in work i think there are many times where you where you find people as you know when you're leading people you you'll always sometimes have to push someone beyond uh, you know because they have the potential but you just need to push them sometimes right uh, and there's that fine balance between pushing someone to achieve greatness but not fostering a lot of negativity bitterness um uh and coming from the right space right uh with that person so how do you establish that that balance so many leaders have told us even on the podcast and in my one on one coaching that the reason why you got to do whatever you got to do has to be very well established so for many organizations they are very excited about the next project that they want to do or the next target they want to achieve but people do not have their personal connect with that idea if someone is as passionate as you are about the technology it still makes sense but if the person is not there has to have some connect with that of that person with the project with the idea with the organization now those personal narratives have to be built is where we say the big vision is translated to the personal journey or personal vision i think that as leaders you can do in your conversation or in the discussions that you do once in a while but everybody has to have the connect of why they are doing whatever they are doing and then the second part of either forcing and that's very tactical like whether you push the person you invite the person you inspire the person these are tactical parts and they happen as and when you go about it but what is more important is letting people understand or including them into the the journey that you're building and that requires conversation that requires people feeling that connection either with you as a as a leader or with the the goal or the objective that you're building towards i feel as a person you don't you don't naturally feel the need to do it you're like okay we set the process we all agree to it and then we achieve and you function like that you don't require mm-hmm. conversation so i feel it's only natural for you to not indulge into conversations that's, right that's right. like you Absolutely. know so like like how uh, organizing and system thinking was new to you when you began probably you are at a stage now where uh, this part of building yourself to be the leader who is more empathetic and more available is something you probably need to build as your next big skill got it 
Got it. Makes sense. And when it comes to, you know, identifying people's why, since you brought that up, and I think that's that's very important. Uh, uh, that's something we've been working on uh, very extensively in identifying each person's why in the organization, and then also pooling everyone together to one larger why to to kind of make that 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 purpose really sure. aligned for everyone. What is a good way to identify someone's why? Because I know you, some there are some folks that you you kind of their why is on their sleeve, right? You they they, they share it very openly, very easily. Right. Uh, and and like you mentioned, there are folks that are introverts and uh, you know folks that that are not very uh, open. So how do you get them to open up about their why? And so. Uh... You know, Maslow, Maslow's theory of hierarchy of needs, we all have studied in management school. So it talks about certain things that all of us are driven by. Some people have refuted the theory by now and, you know, people are not sure. And But I largely look at it and I feel the points might not be in that hierarchy, but they are valid. Like some people I'm are- I'm a big believer as well. Uh, I believe in the hierarchy quite yeah. a lot. So. Yeah, me too. And, and it, it is not age specific. It is not necessarily one <laughs> after the other. But I feel it is there. So if people are driven by, say, uh, their basic needs, they require different kind of support. If they're driven by intellectual needs or need for self-esteem, they are driven by different kind of needs, a need for belonging. So if you can create, and being uh, a systemized person that you are, if you can create, say, a questionnaire or conversation points that have the base of these needs at the bottom, and the questions can be built on top of that. So if you're trying to understand whether the person values belonging or not, you can ask 15 different types of questions, but the need still remains what people are looking for. I personally feel most why that people reasons or the purpose that people are driven by are okay. genuinely connected to these needs. So it just simplifies when you look at someone. So if somebody is fighting the survival battle, you can't sit and mm-hmm. tell them, oh, you will create the impact on human race. They're like, oh no, right now uh, I have to, you know, create uh, my... protect my family. And yeah, home loans, all of that. Yeah. yeah. So, and then there are young kids I've seen, not necessarily from a wealthy background, but they just have this, this self-actualization already happening in a very young age. So you, it's not age specific, it's just about person specific, but you can simplify it for sure by creating these boxes. Yeah, that's actually very interesting because, to be honest, we, I, you know, I always looked at why as a very uh, singular idea. Yeah, like a very singular driver. But when you kind of combine the idea, like the mental model of a Maslow's hierarchy and the why, uh, those two do fit actually very neatly together in, in and, some extent. And- that model has to be tried and tested. Like if you don't believe in Maslow's model, then you can use mm-hmm. other model. But I personally yeah. have seen it. It is sustainable in that sense, not in exact manner that he has done the work, but it is. So if you connect yeah. that and find where exactly your organization is delivering, which need your organization is solving problems for, then people who connect with that will resonate with that need naturally. Thanks. Nice. No, that's actually a great point. And that actually brings me to a very interesting question that, so when it comes to, like say for us, we're, you know, we're running remote and we're a company of folks that are, uh, they are technical folks, most of them, like developers, coders, and they tend to be a little more introvert, a little more shy. 
you know you'll never see this challenge with the marketing team uh, you know because they're a little <laughs> more uh, open and like they speak a lot more right so how do you really get people to open up and and have the fun culture when it's techies and it's remote you know to you know, things that actually push yeah, you in the probably. opposite direction yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who like to like be in one room and not see anybody for days how do you bring yeah, those yeah, people to move yeah are you trying or doing something already i mean we do a lot of things like we have this virtual office uh, it's kind of like a metaverse office so you can actually walk up to someone and talk to them that helps us as well okay um, we we kind of have these fun sessions where people are you know can can talk about their dreams aspirations break the ice you know so they're not just discussing work they can be very open about uh negative feedback uh, whether it's related to a process whether it's related to uh you know as a team anything that they feel they needs to kind of improve we've, we've done you know processes around that and we are encouraging people to speak without judgment so you know, that's something we we tell everyone that you know there's no judgment there's no idea that's stupid so that definitely helps encourage people to open up because uh, i feel the biggest fear that most people have is is when they they speak that they'll be judged of course uh, of course so two things here we had uh, the chief talent officer of deloitte as our guest and okay. he spoke about this point of how when he needed to connect with his team he literally had conversations on a regular basis he said how do you do team checkups i do connection checkups with people so he okay. built that into culture so because he did it his people his people who are reporting into him also did it these are like like yeah. literally knowing whether people are doing okay not emotionally per se but he said i right. learn a lot so i would ask them questions i would reach out i would build a conversation that would allow them to understand that i am available i am open to listen to especially people mm-hmm. who kind of you know have the tendency of going in the corner and hiding somewhere hiding. so he yeah. would always find a way to reach out to them the other thing is we created the mental gym experience exactly with the same need especially post pandemic because people don't talk and they don't talk the real conversation so when you are yeah. even doing fun activities and things like that you in a way land up speaking but mental gyms the the whole objective is to come together and talk about the issues that otherwise you won't confront build the mm-hmm. mindset so if people don't talk that and judgment is a concern then we give them tools of why how to deal with the judgment or what exactly do you do what thinking process because all of us who fear rejection go through the similar process and all of us have gone through it you tried something that worked and eventually you came out of your discomfort in so many ways here yep. we put people into discomfort and and help them swim back so when you keep creating the tools like that people become comfortable so within 3 months people say i i don't believe i had the same issue also yeah, also we combine we we pair people as their, with their buddies so on okay. the emotional journey we otherwise do not have anybody we True. might have somebody to go to the gym with somebody to go and grab a drink with but we don't have a person who is with us on a journey which mm-hmm. is emotional or self growth oriented so when yeah. you have that buddy may or may not be from your organization but when you have someone who is accountable and you know you're building a journey with suddenly it changes people just gamify their own emotions which is such a powerful thing to look at yeah oh, absolutely absolutely next question yeah so there was this one 
so for our our second line of leaders you know there's this one challenge that they they keep me with is there is this balance that they have to draw right you have to you have to be assertive but you can't come across as rude and oh. <laughs> you know sometimes there are second line of leaders that that come across that are uh, that that actually crack right they're nice they're polite they're approachable but somewhere they they come across uh, you know people feel like it's okay to push them over or you know not be as responsible to them right so we tend to see that sometimes leaders end up whenever newer folks are given this leadership position they tend to stray in one of these two directions either becoming over assertive and and then therefore you know people stop liking them and then they become rude or they become they continue their people being polite but they're not used to be holding others accountable uh, and and uh, and therefore people don't take them seriously uh, yeah. and there's also a lot of coaching so what's the right approach that people should take uh, and how should we inspire these leaders to kind of find that balance you know people think being firm like in our culture being firm is not taught we are either people pleasing or we are rude we don't have yeah. polite firm as a as a mid, middle ground exactly. right like something that we yeah. need to really build towards uh, right. generally i come across as a very respectful in my speaking being a coach also is very natural yeah. so even if i have to like right. shout at somebody or like really get upset i would be very polite and people take some time to understand am i really like saying that i won't be doing it or i'm just like being polite so yeah. i i saw that happening i give negative feedback in sessions and people are like now tell me something negative about myself and in my class team minutes whatever i said was about the weakness that we have to address but what we need to do is create that communication culture initially people mm-hmm. won't get it but when you are firm and when you are you know still like polite about it or you're still playful but you are like very clear with your objective i think it also grows on people one way another way is encouraging any behavior which is firm and polite so it's not only achieving yeah. the numbers or it's not only team being extremely happy it's creating those markers where people realize that okay i need to be firm and also creating the possibility i don't think many people know it exists people don't yeah. know they can be firm and polite at the same time the they same. can put their foot True. down and just yeah. be you know as as empathetic as possible so because yeah. of the lack of awareness i feel largely this problem happens it's not about people don't wish to do nobody has shown mm-hmm. them it is possible got it yeah i think they, they don't realize that firmness and politeness can actually go, go together yeah. yeah absolutely i i have a question for you now we are talking okay. about your organization i want mm-hmm. want you to ask me a question which is about you because it is about a leadership conversation so yes i hear you about the organization we can you know as a peripheral conversation but as a person okay. what would you like to work on or something that you have a question about yourself i think for me um you know one thing that i definitely want to work on is is the it's over analyzing sometimes uh, you know decision making that you know if you, you you kind of realize somewhere that if you don't make the decision it's effectively making the decision in some way right uh-huh. so if you don't say yes or no it is by de facto no or if you don't send that one email taking that risk uh, or you know asking a customer for something or you know 
doing it, then by default you've taken a decision for no, even though you've not realized it. And with time, it just progresses on, and you you don't end up. Uh, it 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 became a no at some point in time, saying okay, we won't do it, but you never actually actively took the call. Right. Uh, so how do you kind of change that behavior to from becoming overly analytical and just becoming more implementation oriented? Uh, firstly, is that the right approach to go for? And because I found it's more valuable when you just implement sometimes and you don't overthink uh, the outcome of, of things because you tend to overthink the negative outcomes a lot more than the positive, right? So overthinking mostly is given is exactly what you said, right? Negative outcome. You ruminate about it all the time. You say, what if this happens? What if that happens? But in your case, you're highly observant and analytical, which, which is a strength for the profession that you are in. So right, if that right. strength is rewarded all the time for in one area, it's extremely difficult mm -hmm. for you to switch it off and say, now, because I'm a business leader, I won't be analytical. It can't happen. Yeah, your yeah. brain brain is That's trained true. into it. Yeah. Like your brain yeah, has yeah. got all these phenomenal results by using that same skill. You can't, can't switch it off. You can probably right. moderate it, but also you have to give yourself little leeway to know that you will be doing this. You will analyze probably setting a timeline to do that saying that, okay, by, by this weekend, if I don't decide, I'm not, I'm going to stop thinking and analyzing and take a call, whatever I think that might help, but asking yourself to think lesser, technically, if I look at your handwriting and personality is not possible. This is, who, yeah. this is who you are and this is what is like almost asking me not to analyze people's uh, thinking when I'm talking yeah. to them when I'm walking on the road. Like don't analyze it. Like, it's just like such a second nature. So yeah. and that's your strength. That's your strength. So probably, uh, you know, that's not stopping the decision making. What is stopping the decision making or becoming a hindrance is when emotions take over. Like when you start having certain ideas, so when you began your journey, correct me if I'm wrong, that you wanted to find the solution to the problem yeah. that you're solving. And you're like, oh, I may fail, but that's okay. Like, you know, I'll just get up and I'll do this again. And I may correct, fall, correct. but okay, that's okay. But I've, so you were so focused on finding the solution. I feel right. as, and it happens to obviously anybody who would grow with the business and, you know, have like more responsibilities. Now the cost of falling, failing is much higher. Thereby, lot more emotions get involved. So it also like, you know, the brand that you're building, the communication, the, the deal that you, so the must-haves are much more. And when you uh, have more must-haves and shoulds and shouldn'ts, then the, the ability to be agile in your decision-making becomes, you know, less available. You are like more driven by external factors that right. plays more and that's not analysis that is like the the growth path got it that's actually very interesting and you know to be honest you're right because somewhere when we were a lot younger you know if you and since we started actually for us it was even more because i started when i was like just in high school right so at that time <laughs> yeah. the, the risk of failure was actually zero right there was like where you failed you go back to studying and you, yeah, you're okay so i came from that setup where the risk of failure even in college was zero uh and uh and sometimes negative because right? you failed you end up getting more time to study and focus so so and then trying to move the system where yeah when things grew and we really became successful that 
the fear of failure goes up quite significantly. Uh, and just to kind of work through that and ensure you don't make that a kind of a stepping block to continue that rapid decision. And this is where you require the the community of people who are at your level, who are you know who have gone through the early success that you have seen, constantly being part of those communities and and actively having these conversations with people, which are which requires to be you know you need to be a little bit more vulnerable than otherwise you would be, to yeah. ask them these questions. Probably somebody who is you know in your Forbes circle yeah. or someone who is you know in the technology kind of a giant yeah. circle. Having right. this conversation, I think, is the only way because there are so many people who are ahead of your curve, and all of us right. will always have those people. But right. as a, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, is our job to constantly reach out and seek answers from these people, or at least ask the right questions and see what kind of questions they asked when they were at our stage. Right. I think right. Right. that is phenomenal. Like I believe in the power of asking questions and picking brains. So the very yeah. moment you get into that, you might not get the perfect, right, exact answer, but you'll get the right question to ask to the next person. I think. Uh, no, absolutely. I think very well put. I think one other, you know, I think keep trying to improve on leadership and you know, uh, keep trying to improve as a person and keep growing as well, right? I think that's something that, as a philosophy, has been very important to me. Uh, I read a lot. Um, and I see a lot of, you know, videos, which are, you know, videos that help content that helps, you know, improve you as a leader, as a person, I, you know, I'm a very quick reader. So I, I end up doing a book a week and I feel like initially in that journey, I was gaining a lot of knowledge and now I feel I'm reaching a stage where I read something and they're like, okay. 30 ideas that come from it and then you're able to implement or you view something and you're like, wow, this is interesting. This has this, this, this concept. And then you end up implementing, like you start looking back and you're like, oh, wow, I implemented literally 5% of that book. And, and that book was amazing. Like it was life changing. I implemented one idea from that book of 10 ideas that came uh, and made it an intrinsic part of my, my life and style of working. Uh, and, and that kind of makes you feel a little, like, am I doing something wrong? Because uh, I, I need to up that rate, you know, of uh, okay. actually imbibing those ideas and applying that. I have a question. Why do yeah. you have to up the rate? Like, who told you that implementing 10 to 20% of the book will solve your bigger problems? I think for me, it's like, you know, sometimes you see that you know, when you read something, you're like, it makes sense. And... It, like we need to do this, right? Uh, it'll you you realize that it's going to bring you a lot of long term value, right? But but then when you have to go to the implementation stage, uh, it's always a challenge, right? I feel with everyone really? I've I've talked to, like yeah. So, so and I feel if different people have what I've seen is different people have different implementation scales or abilities, right? Uh, right? So when Elon Musk reads a book, uh, you know, uh, or thinks of a few ideas and the amount he's able to implement versus what I would do versus what someone else will do will be at very different levels. And I found the ones that are able to implement make more. that, yeah, yeah, make that a more rapid process end up being more better leaders and more long-term successful. Okay. I agree with, with your point, but there are two parts to it. One is the expectation that when I read or find a solution, I should be able to implement the maximum amount of it. 
but the mindsets are built over a period of time so something that you read five years back 10 years back you still it is it is the base of the mindset that you're operating from okay right so you might have not physically actually in the business implemented things but i i can vouch for this that there are books and lines that we read which are still part of why we think the way we do ah okay interesting and mindsets are never like a direct thing these are the incremental growth that you go through so because one book one concept opened your mind to that idea next book next concept added to it and the third one and then when it reaches a point of of that update becoming complete is where the inspiration becomes irresistible yeah i got you yeah. Then you're like, I have to do this. Yeah. And then there is no other way. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I so many times wait for that inspiration to reach that point because then you know when you start implementing there, you will be in a flow. Now, what yeah. you're doing you here, yeah. what you've got to stay consistent with is your everyday incessant need and desire to learn and grow and be in the process. Because the process and being in that process, knowing you as a as a student of this whole process, or or yeah. most leaders for that matter, they are really connected to to that purpose, right? They want to find the answer. So yeah. the answers and the books and the authors will be suggested to you, recommended to you. Thanks to the algorithm, they also track you and give you the right videos that you are supposed to watch. But all of this will come. The mindset is what you are at the end building. So mindset is the software which won't be updated immediately. It will take its own time. And I believe internalized ideas like this, where you have thought through them, you know, back at at the back of your mind, have mulled over that idea, they go a long way. Yeah, that's actually a great point because now that I look back, you know, I feel maybe I was somewhere not not seeing that perspective because I would always see like I would see my library of books and it's a very large library <laughs> and I would sometimes feel like, you know, I imbibed some of this, but did I really take out enough juice from it? But now that you mention it, you're, you're right. It, it starts adding up and compounding Compound. and, uh, and those mental models are like, Oh, you read another book and I'm like, Oh, that idea was there in that book in that perspective. And they've added another color to it and actually makes sense. And then your, your ideas become a lot stronger and more powerful. So, I probably shouldn't keep looking at at that library and feeling, oh, I need to implement it more. It's just adding to your overall knowledge and mental models that, that, that can allow you to expand. Also, I feel, you know, like like a coach, most of the time, all the thinking that I do offline when I'm not coaching, not talking to anybody is what is where the depth of the conversation comes from. So my yeah. job is to continue to do that, like, you know, how Sachin Tendulkar would practice uh, before yeah. the match play the match and then watch what all he could have done better. So that's all right. we can do. We can keep putting these ideas in our minds and keep growing and then put ourselves into execution and see whether we really had different perspective, different approach or not. Evaluate that and then probably go back and add more. That's how like right. keep building and renewing that process. Nice. nice. Okay. So on compounding, I can't go ahead without hearing your story of meeting Warren Buffett. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a very, uh, very interesting experience for us because both... I'm sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. Before you go there, it's not meeting, it's actually working with him. So <laughs> I need to rephrase this, but yes. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we were actually at that time, uh, uh, we were part of 
yeah. so we were doing well you know we were working on this one project which was it was it was something we were very excited for it is one of the projects that we eventually got the patent so i've gone back three four years okay. uh, in time and uh, we were kind of working on this project and at that time we'd, we'd been getting good coverage we, you know we were part of forbes 30 under 30 fortune 40 under 40 and uh, at that time uh, forbes had their 100 years anniversary happening uh, so there's a big deal for them, right? Uh, oh. Large media brand, hundred years. So they decided to put Warren Buffett on the cover of the magazine. Okay. And uh, when when Forbes and Warren were kind of just discussing, they wanted to do something very different. So their vision was, what will the next hundred years look like? They want to show their readers what the next hundred years would look like. Okay. So they were thinking, okay, you know, how do we go about this? And uh, you know, I think. They, it, the Forbes team obviously knew us well because they they kind of covered us and, and really done a lot of expose. And I think Warren had also heard uh, about us as a company. And they said, well, let's reach out to these guys uh, and see if they have anything interesting. So they reached out and we're like, wow, this is you know, an amazing <laughs> opportunity. And, and we were like, okay, what, what can we take out of our, our little hat that's like going to blow away the world and you know be that one amazing thing? And we had that one technology, so it was, it was slated for launch literally one year later. Okay. And they told us that it's going to launch, uh, the cover's coming out in two months' time. So you so had to make, we, oh my God. Yeah. So we took a flyer on it and we took a bet and we said, you know what, we, we showed them the concept and, and we had a very, very basic prototype. Uh, so it was an AI, what we want to do is basically we came up with this concept that a magazine cover uh, uh, but brought to life. So an AI version of Warren Buffett sitting inside the magazine wow. that you can talk to and interact with it right? because that's what the future of a magazine would probably yep. be 20 years, 30 years from now. Uh, and you could interview Warren Buffett. So you could, as a reader, ask him questions that you were interested in and he would answer back to you uh, with, with actual Warren in front of you uh, on your phone and his voice and his look and his everything. So... So they, they loved the concept, <laughs> like, let's do this, <laughs> and uh, like, it's slated for one year, so they were like, no, it's in two months. So so we kind of started building some prototypes, and, uh, you know, we kind of started making, like, then we left everything, like, me, Raghav, the rest of the team, we like, just drop everything, and this 24 <laughs> by 7, and I mean, I, I still remember we worked, like, 18, 18, 20, 20 hours in, oh. in, that, in that period, and... Uh, and it needed to scale as well because they said, okay, it's going to come out in the global issue across the world. So uh, it's going to be 100 million users concurrently hitting the platform from everywhere uh, are going to come, you know. So, so it had to scale as well. And, uh, you know, I, we were showing them prototypes. They started liking the prototypes. I got a call one month before from the editor saying, we put it on the magazine cover. So talk to Warren Buffett, we put the URL, we put the QR. Uh, and so it's there now. So now <laughs> we, 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 I have to, to do show it. up, figure it out. Yeah. And it's printed on the magazine, so there's no option <laughs> left. <laughs> you know, it's either you make it or not. Oh. Uh, That's not pressurizing we, uh, at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we just, uh, you know, we dug down deep. We worked really insanely hard, and uh, and and we we did it. And you know, as on the launch, then I you know I got to fly down, spend time with Warren, talk to him, and you know meet him personally. And 
and obviously during the project as well you know we had to interact with uh, a lot of the folks including Warren to just figure out okay how you know how will we design it how does he want his his persona to look and you know what are the things that he wants it to say what is he not okay with it saying and yeah it was a phenomenal experience uh, meeting him and then he he kind of the the in that meeting with him i think that really changed my life because he the 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 core underlying of everything that i asked him uh, he was like the key to success is investing in yourself Wow. And 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 that one idea really resonated. It came through so beautifully with him. Right? And I used to always be that person who, you know, if there was an online course, or if I came across, let's say, even APT gym, uh, yeah. let's say before meeting him, I would always think, oh, okay, this is the cost. Will there be value, etc. You know, and and I'd always be the person earning on the, okay, what's the price? Mm-hmm. How much is it worth, etc. Side. And when I did that fundamental shift, like, okay, this is amazing value that this gym will bring me or this course is going to bring me amazing value. And I don't mind spending something that I would have like 10 times of what I would have thought of spending as an, as a regular person, right? Uh, I, I might buy a very expensive phone, but I would have thought three times before buying a course of that value. Well, right? of course. And, Most and, people do uh, that. Yeah. And, and once I changed that philosophy and and he himself said like he he was like when i met him he was an amazing personality and public speaker right like yeah. and so witty and he was like i was never like this because uh, he's like yeah. he did a dale carnegie course which was very expensive at that time yeah. and he said it changed me uh, and he became like this amazing speaker he's like i became so confident that i you know he proposed to his wife and <laughs> life changed after that because he used to be like this very shy and not like you know, geeky not a kind of a person yeah yeah, yeah exactly and um, yeah. and you know seeing him there and you know telling me those things i think that that fundamentally changed it and then after that i kind of did a 360 of you know focusing on investing no matter the cost no matter the price you know something that invests helps me grow and uh, you know eventually we made it to the cover of forbes magazine so i really feel that investing paid off big time and I think that one thing I always owe him for for teaching me. Congratulations and you know I I speak about this concept of osmosis and not Mm -hmm. from a chemistry perspective moreover from like when you meet people uh, you learn Mm -hmm. from them what they speak but you also just being in the conversation with them being around them you know observing them you learn a lot more and that goes a long way and the whole idea of uh, you know the, the the way you could work with him understand you know how he thinks by itself yeah. is an experience that will you'll never forget that and that is Absolutely. like leadership lesson to another level altogether congratulations Absolutely. thank you thank you <laughs> on today's coach the coach segment i would like to talk about the technique the tactic that we just discussed Is it possible for a leader to be firm and yet polite? You know, people mostly don't understand. They either understand being defiant or aggressive or being like a doormat and people pleaser. What if you don't have to choose between these two? What if you find a midway where you actually allow the other person to speak their mind? You are empathetic to understand their side of the story. And then you take your own time to decide what you believe in. What do you believe in? 
if you don't know what you believe in then the confusion is mandatory then you might give in to other people's ideas their pressures their ways of looking at things but if you take out time to understand what works for you what you believe in and then take your call accordingly then no matter who's opposing you and how strong they are in that opposition you can still hold your grounds be firm and polite in my opinion in leadership most of the time firm and polite works way more effectively than aggressive and defiant having said that if you require to raise your voice if you require to prove a point if you require to do it once in a while i don't think any leader should ever judge themselves for using this tactic because like a mother who wants to discipline her child sometimes she has to be firm sometimes she has to be really aggressive sometimes she has to scare the child a bit or sometimes she has to be completely empathetic available the safest space for the child to speak to her now all these roles she can take only when she knows exactly firmly what she is walking towards if she is confused if she is unclear then she can give in to the child's tantrum pressure techniques other ways of making her feel embarrassed and then cannot ever be in control now as the leader as a coach of any sort you got to find out what is your clarity to be able to be firm and yet polite Let me get back to the interesting part of the conversation where Abhinav is going to talk about three things that only Abhinav can teach us. So tell us three things that only you can teach us. So I think one thing that I definitely feel has been very very valuable uh, is is being multidisciplinary in your approach. Okay. Uh, What do you mean? And 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 this I learned from. you know when i was working with when i interacted with steve wozniak uh, he invented the first first computer mm. right as we know you know earlier computers would actually give you those uh, outputs as a punch card right so in binary so which basically meant only only computer geeks could actually understand what a computer what's happening yeah like imagine your new instagram news feed being like you know a bunch Dots. of punch dots would <laughs> 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 wouldn't be as uh, old as it is today. So, so you're he, saying he you're saying Steve's work is the reason why, from having computer as a technology, it became an experience for all of us users, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because he was just sitting at home one day, and he decided he had a typewriter and he had a television, and yeah. at that time there was no concept of a computer. So right. he said, "If I put my typewriter together with my television, what will uh, happen? It will happen. Yeah, and and." Okay, that was fifty years ago. Imagine, right? Oh, and, and in fifty years, it's not Imagine changed. Imagine what all has happened. Yeah, like yeah. the desktop computer is still that keyboard with the screen. Our phones are still okay. The keyboard has become virtual, but it's still a keyboard with the screen. Yeah. And uh, everything that we do today in technology is that. So he put these like he he like you keep thinking of these multiple disciplines that if you keep putting them together. Uh, you can come out with amazing models of the world and approaches to the world right and you gave a beautiful example aditi just some time back right you talked about uh, when we were talking and you said you know you very passionate about graphology and then you took the concept of personality tests like myers briggs or 16pf and you put those two disciplines together you were able to extract so much more because you you were able to put those personality concepts to the concept of handwriting 
Uh, also, my father comes from a filmmaking, like he was an art director. So I grew up studying scripts and stories in that manner. So today, when I describe a personality, there is a lot of storytelling that happens naturally because of the filmmaking background that my family came from. You know, it's literally like I, I can't agree with this concept more. And most successful businesses are actually doing that, right? Bringing Absolutely. two unrelated things together. Like I, I can see so many things that I like. As a, I've done CA and I've done very business, and then I, I taught myself coding. But there's so many concepts even between those two disciplines oh, that similar. actually apply to each other. Yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> uh, second thing. So I think the second thing I and I talked about it a little uh, was was uh, you know inve- investing in yourself. So constantly improving. Even if you improve one percent a day, right? I think too many people, and I have fallen prey of this this thinking before as well. Is that I always used to look for this big bang change, right? And incremental improvements. You probably see this in my handwriting, but I used to really look down upon incremental improvement. I'm like, no, let's find the best solution and and you know, revamp it. Uh, <laughs> And, and later on in life, I realized that it's that one percent improvement which is far better. And yeah. you know, if you even do the maths behind compounding, right? One percent every day becomes three thousand seven hundred percent in a year. So imagine, right? If you can just do and one percent could be anything, right? It could like one day you could be like, oh, if I kept I keep my phone right next to me and if I keep it far away in another room, my efficiency goes up by one percent. Mm. It could be any hack that you implement. It just every yeah. day staying at it. You know, yesterday yeah. I was I was listening to a podcaster, and he said this line. He said most of the time it's not that we forget to do things. Most of the time right. we don't take that one moment to remember that we got to remember. Correct. And he's like that that shift, you know, in your mind, sort of very micro thing, but that would create Correct. a huge shift. So you don't have to do like big changes by putting stick-ons every year. No, no, that's just like yeah. that. Shift and like you got to remember to remember, and I'm like, makes sense. Incremental shift like that. Yeah, absolutely. Third point. I think the third would probably be is don't assume the world is as efficient as you think it is. <laughs> and and the the way I kind of prove that point across, or way I learned that point is is Our by way, asking a very, very simple question is. You know, you're the way you type, right? You have the QWERTY keyboard. Yeah. And the keys are arranged. Yeah. Uh, and so the old typewriter. Yeah. So most people think, and I always thought this, right? I always thought, oh, they've been arranged this way because it's the most efficient way of typing. So They're there not? is no better way of. Exactly. So, <laughs> right? You assume that yeah. this way that you've been typing your entire life, this is the most efficient way of typing, right? Yeah. It's not. What are so, you saying? Yeah, so the the reason the person who invented it, uh, he ran a typewriting company, right? Okay. So the old typewriters, you know, the physical right, ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the biggest problem, if you guys, if you've ever typed on a typewriter, used to be the keys used to get locked with each other. Yeah. Right, if you type very fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it get locked and you have to pull it down. Right. And yeah. then you continue and you have to get, unlock the key, right? So he decided to put all the vowels far away from each other to slow typists down and put all common letters far away from each other so that if you type an A and an L, it's far away. So it won't lock into each other very My often. Oh my God. And he invented <laughs> QWERTY. And 
if you look at typing today that's the most inefficient way of typing because he was trying to slow people down yeah he put all the vowels far away from each other and he put all the common keys far away so the there is actually a much faster <laughs> way it's called it's called dvorak okay. where all the vowels are arranged right next to each other all the key consonants are in the center line and it's a much faster way of typing uh but it's just so hard for the world to change yeah and there are so many examples in the world today that that people think that Must this, this probably the, the most, most efficient some very scientific approach has resulted <laughs> in us doing work this way where it it was just some random reason <laughs> where someone was trying to solve some other problem yeah. yeah is the way is the reason why we work and uh, so you know there are so many opportunities as 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 leaders as entrepreneurs as as, as just general people out out there in the world to make it more efficient and better that that we don't even realize we just assume that people have thought it through this is my best key take away from this conversation this has blown my mind this is unbelievable because it's not only applicable to to you know technology or otherwise but everything like in generally yeah. we assume people say if they are in an authoritative position or if they are leading businesses uh, like I, i have seen most people don't ask questions to these leaders thinking that why would they help they just yeah, assume yeah. that it won't work you know they just have some assumptions like that and yeah. some, sometimes you just are are limited and in the traps of your assumptions so yeah and i think that you know that we've noticed that like people come in like you said people come into organizations and assume that they've done the best efficiency analysis yes and when when people join us the first thing we ask them after one week in the organization is what are we doing wrong tell us tell us what are we doing wrong and which is the uh, most important thing you want to know from a fresh perspective before the person gets familiarized of course yeah exactly i think that's what i love about new entrepreneurs because they are so aware that they do not know that they're willing yeah. to ask more questions i think you know older people get in their organizational success they believe they just know it but the whole idea yeah. of like recreating any model and now this one this example going to stay with me to question A lot more than I do generally. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And once you hear this, like, you're like, oh, is this like? Yeah, you know, I had moments where they're actually very efficiently done, and I'm like, is this the most efficient? Like, yeah. let me check. Oh my God, you're unleashing another part of my brain now. Thank you so much for that one. Absolutely, Ravi. <laughs> now, thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. So many moments. I think all of I, you, I, and even our listeners would go through like, oh my God, this is interesting. That is nice. Oh, we got people thinking, and we have done a great yeah. job on that. I feel. Thank you. Absolutely. No, and thank you, Aditi. I know I've been a part of. You know, I've, I've been asked to speak at a lot of places, uh, uh, all the all over the world, but. it's usually you know usually i'm not so stimulated by the conversation myself uh, so it's Thank one of the few times i really enjoyed cuz i also kind of got to think of things in 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 some different ways and got some new perspectives so it was really good fun thank you thank you so much i think that's the that's the objective i feel inviting high performers and really creating a platform where all of us play the equal field right like we genuinely walk into spaces that we don't know i don't know some yeah. parts of your story you don't know some parts of you know these aspects of the questions that you ask and for our listeners to every day see that all of us are on journeys so no matter how big small complicated easy your journey is you are on the journey and every day adding that 1% of growth is all that would matter for our long term success
yeah absolutely thank you so much for joining me one more time on the absolutely right podcast every single week we decode one high performer's personality and identify what makes them who they are and in this whole process of solving the puzzle of personality we use multiple psychological terms mental models and in the process get to learn about ourselves i cannot tell you how learning from other people is the simplest and easiest way for our brain to build the high performance mindset If you want to build your mindset and if you're still thinking about it go ahead check out the website appmentalgym.com we are coming up with this phenomenal one year long process for you to discover how you can step into the state of flow and actually build that high performance mindset I'll see you next Wednesday with one more episode of the absolutely right podcast till then happy writing